China has emerged as one of the 21st century's most consequential nations, making it more important than ever to understand how the country is governed. Welcome to Pekingology, the podcast that unpacks China's evolving political system. I'm Jude Blanchett, the Freeman Chair in China Studies at CSIS, and this week I'm joined by Shui Guo, the Lincoln Financial Professor of Political Science at Guilford College. Today we'll be discussing his 2019 book, The Politics of the Core Leader in China, Culture, Institution, Legitimacy, and Power. Schwager, thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. So I wanted to start out by asking if you wouldn't mind giving a short intellectual biography. How did you begin your journey on studying Chinese politics and China's political system? And as a follow-up, who or what was an important influence in shaping the questions you ask and, and the direction of your research? Okay, I have a very similar experiences with uh, many, many the Chinese people like uh, Xi Jinping. I went to countryside for three years. I have uh, been hired as a teacher. I taught Chinese, math, science, okay, uh, chemistry, everything, music, in order to survive. Yeah, I went to college in 1978. That's why that's, so those people went to countryside for several years, then they went to college for education. Yeah, another major uh, important uh, spirit is why I was hired to work for the government in transportation ministry. Yeah, uh, where I become uh, uh, the officers, government officials, uh, to in charge of the license issue to the factory. Yeah, that's why those experience. Also later, I went to get the fellowship. I passed the exam from the Ministry of Education and sent it to Germany for study. By the June 4th movement, I was in Germany. I changed my life, yeah, basically. And then I decided to go to U.S., continue for my PhD study. Yeah, therefore, I went to U.S. and finished my ma- the B- P- master, the PhD. Okay, finally, I got a degree from uh, University of Virginia. That's the start of my research. Okay, and the research, then in the very early stage, I'm interested in the Guanxi theory, how the Guanxi function in political affairs, how the political leaders build this Guanxi. Now, therefore, I basically trying to f- figure out what is the Guanxi interacted. I define Guanxi as four dimensions. Okay, instrumental, okay, addict, moral, and emotional. Those Guanxi, the different combination of those kind of dimensions shape the different quality of Guanxi. Uh, that uh, work was published by China Journal in, when I was in college. Oh, <laughs> when I was in University of Virginia. Okay, yeah, and then later I changed my research focus, more talk about uh, what is, uh, what caused those, the dynamics of Chinese politics, elite politics. I focus on Institutions, the important institutions, yeah, for example, security apparatus and the Central Commission for Disciplinary Inspection and Supervision. And now I'm working on the okay, Department of Central Committee's organization. Yeah, I'm interested for how those institutions have influenced the behavior of elite. 
Well, when you finish the project on the organization department, we will need to have you back on the podcast. So you've written or you completed in 2019 and was published what I, I think was just such a phenomenal book that I was excited when I saw it, it on the Cambridge University Press page that it was coming out because it, it I could tell this was going to be a significant work to answer a really key puzzle or challenge about the development of China's modern political system. And that seems to be this, I think to many, this, this trend reversal from movement towards more diffused power at the top, kind of collective leadership, distributed decision-making, and almost a normalization of China's political system throughout much of what looked like much of the reform and opening period. And suddenly it seemed as if in 2016, when Xi Jinping was granted or, or achieved the title of core of the central leadership, this seemed to be almost a step backwards. You paint, I think, a much more complex picture and over a canvas that stretches back far into China's political history. So I think this is just such an essential work for understanding the development of China's political system and, and, and Xi Jinping. That out of the way, that praise out of the way, I wanted to start with my very first question, which is the book is on the politics of the core leader in China. Interestingly, you don't define that or say that is necessarily a, a CCP phenomenon, and you sweep back much farther in history. So before we get into the, the role of the core within the Communist Party of China, and then finally, when we discuss Xi Jinping, at a more general level, can you talk about how the role of core leader has been important throughout China's long political history. How did core manifest in, say, dynastic politics? And, and what role did the core play in traditional Chinese political thought? Okay, yeah, the first question, I would say the role of the core leader yeah, could promote a volunteer compliance with the, the core leader from both the party and the society and the strong cohesion of the political and the military organizations. And national unity and the solidarity achieved by strong and effective authoritarian rule. And the deep party penetration into the party organizations and the society. It also can promote loyalty to and the trust in the party and the system. It can also facilitate political and the social control because the core leader's thoughts and the theories set up the guideline for the direction of the party and the state. The core leader's ideas set up a belief system with a strong religious component. In terms of the second question about how did the core manifest in dynastic politics, traditional Chinese political ideas yeah, which from its fusion of moral and the political systems to the social emphasis on family hierarchy in all levels of Chinese life, highly regarded the vital role of the emperor or the paramount leader as the son of heaven, Qianzi, the one who shouldered the responsibility in succeeding heaven's degree to govern the country. I, this idea of a core leader is influenced not only by traditional political thought in which the emperor must be on the central stage of the state, 
and in a crucial and decisive role with disputable power in elite politics, but also by the communist ideas and the practice in which the party's monopoly on the exercise of political power and the political paramountcy of its top leaders are the central features of communist regimes. The core of party leadership is not only a political leader whose power cannot be shared, but also by symbol of national unity, solidarity, prosperity, and harmony. For a party chief, the criteria required to become the core include accomplishments in, in work performance, prestige and charisma in the party leadership, rich experience in civilian and military careers, and the profound Guanxi network among the party elite, and a skillful political technique in the largest sense yeah, to rally support from the party elite, defeat open and potential political rivals, and pursue domination in the party leadership due to the lack of institutionalized rule that grant real authority to and checks the power of the party general secretary. Their real power relies greatly on personal ties, factional alignments, popular support, and the individual skills. In terms of the last question you talk about, right? The third one is how the traditional thought. The ideal Chinese political leader or emperor was viewed by Confucianism as a sage king, Shen Wang, and by Liganism as an enlightened leader, Ming Jun. Yeah, Ming Jun. From a Confucian perspective, they talk about a sage king. Okay, sage, sage is the son of heaven. It's supposed to be patriarch or father of the country, yeah, who tempers justice with mercy and rule by benevolence. Yeah, from Confucian perspective. Now, if you from Liganese perspective, the leader should be skillful strategist with a great vision. His political judgment cannot be influenced by the so-called morality. Okay, and compare with yeah, let's make a make a little bit of comparison. Compare to with Confucianism. Liganism has favored a rule-centered autocratic polity and views government as an apparatus to serve the interests of the ruler. The reason is simple. Liganism trying to reduce political risk because leadership or regime changes always cause the suffering of the people. Okay, while Confucianism has set up racial structure and moral values such as filial piety, loyalty, righteousness, sincerity, rectification of names, and so forth, to ensure that the ruler is only elite under the core of leadership follow the way, Nigalism has asserted that the regime's central pursuit is to pursue, maintain, and enhance the ruler's absolute power and authority. And an ideal enlightened ruler must be a skillful manipulator and a successful politician who could use personal authority or technique and the laws effectively to control the bureaucracy and the statecraft. Yeah, the fundamental feature of Chinese political thought is a strong legalization of Confucianism. Okay, what do we call today? Okay, what do we call a Confucianism today? 
is a synthesis of classical Confucian and legalist ideas. And it has evolved significantly since Confucian scholar Dong Zhongshu transformed Confucius thought from an ethic thesis into the basis of a state ideology in the Han Dynasty. The legalization of Confucianism, along with some values of Taoism and its association with the powerful unified empires, yeah, led to Confucianism's ability to establish himself as an official state ideology. That was a really helpful context for thinking about the role of the core within the CCP. I, I wanted to ask you, it sounds as if in some ways you're arguing there was a long-held, deeply ingrained predisposition for an idea of a, of a core leader that if we ran a counterfactual and the party doesn't sort of win supreme power in 1949 and was ruled by a different governance system, let's say a KMT authoritarian governance system, that we would still see a tendency towards a deeply centralized political figure very visibly ruling the country. Does that seem right? I, I'm thinking about in contradistinction to American political culture, where in many ways the key insight of our relatively you know, new political thought is deep ambivalence about centralized rule, such that even a president, you know, the executive power is, is deeply constrained by other institutions and, and laws. Does that make sense to say that even if it wasn't being ruled by the Communist Party, this idea of core leader would still play an important role? If we understand CCP history, right? All six party chiefs before Mao were imposed by the Comintern, yeah, Communist International, or by Stalin. Now, they never formally established their authority as the party chief. Yeah, they were weak, lacked political basis, lacked factional support from the party and the Red Army, lacked political and military experiences, and were unable to establish their thoughts or theories to become the guideline of the party. That's why Deng Xiaoping said, the party has never established a capable central leadership before the Zhenyi Conference uh, in 1935, when Mao rise into power, yeah, as elected into the political bureau standing committee. And the leadership headed by so many people like Chen Duxiu, Xu Qiubai, Xiang Zhongfa, Li Nisan, right? All those people, and, uh, and Bo Gu, Zhang Wentian, was never stable, neither stable nor mature. That's the Deng Xiaoping's own words. No doubt, nobody denied that Mao was a capable core leader who rescued the Red Army, in the, the Nang March, created the most successful base areas in Jiangxi and later in Yan'an, and create, created Mao Zedong thoughts, which became the guideline of a CCP policy, and founded the PRC, the People's Republic of China, and won the title as indisputable paramount leader in most part of Mao's tenure. The point is, the Mao's position is to become a core leader. It's about so many, many aspects. Yeah, which put Mao in that position. In both Jiang Zemin and Hu Jintao, right? We know that, okay, the corruption and the inability to push economic reform 
became the major concern of the party elite. Now, from the perspective of the CCP elite, okay, and last perspective of the U.S., okay, the so-called last decade under Hu Jintao's leadership, which was unable to provide a significant progress in political, economical, and legal reform, and thus missed the opportunity to put the country on the more sustainable path, further aggravated the sense of a crisis among the party elite. The collective leadership turned into a gang organization in which the high-ranking leaders exchanged interests and shared each other for political advancement and economic profit. The core leader becomes the solution for the import rampant uh, the, the, uh, official corruption nationwide and for pushing the difficult economic reform. That's why when Xi Jinping came to power, there is strong sentiment in the party looking for change. It's not Xi Jinping have so much, yeah, that's a personal ability is one thing. Also, you have a strong sentiment within the party, it's another. Yeah, I wanted to just, if I could linger on this for a moment, one of the arguments in the book is, I mean, building on the point you just made, that there is almost a um, pendulum swing between periods of what we would call collective leadership, but maybe would be more accurately described from many within the party as weak central leadership, right? Or the absence of a core. And then on the other side, the, the pendulum moves towards a, a strongman leader. Oftentimes that, that strongman will overplay his hand, make a critical, you know, big mistake, overly centralize power and alienate other elite, which therefore provokes a a challenge to the leadership and the pendulum swings back towards collective or, or weak leadership. I wonder if you could discuss a little bit about, you know, more about that mechanism that provokes a shift from one side of the pendulum to the other. And, and if there are any, you know, examples to help explore this. One you discussed in the book was even Mao, who of course unquestionably had the status of core, his power wasn't constant, right? After big gambles and mistakes like the, the Great Leap Forward, his core status was under threat or at least was challenged. So could you talk a bit about how the pendulum swings from one side to the other? Due to the weak institutionalization of the Chinese political system and the system's emphasis of the political and the social stability, the system in both traditional and the contemporary China favors a capable and a talented leader who relies on the legalist statecraft or real politics to establish and consolidate his power base and extend his control over the machinery of the government so that he is able to effectively discipline and control the ruling elite and push his political, economic, and social programs. The mechanism also comes from the expectation of the party elite on the role that the core leader should play. A strong man or core leader is often viewed as savior when the party is in crisis. When the survival of the regime becomes a priority at the time when the CCP is headed by a weak leader, there is always a strong sentiment among the party leadership to have a strong leader to rebuild the authority and the power of the party and to strengthen the discipline, unity, and the party organizations. 
The mechanism also due to the existence of a self-adjustable and self-regulating mechanism in Chinese political system that merely comes from the changing perceptions of the political actors and the changing degrees of the party elite's confidence in the core leader. It's a dynamic of the elite politics that motivates the ruling elite to take a political action. Now, this basically also came from what we call the idea or the mentality of Junzi, yeah, Junzi or Shidafu state officials, right? Uh, uh, like those. The general approach in the party leadership when the party deals with the weak party chief is to establish a so-called collective leadership with a set of norms and promote the limited institutionalization to govern relations and conflicts among the party elite. Under the reign of the powerful core leader, yeah, there is therefore an atmosphere under which the high-ranking leaders compete with one another to show their loyalty and obedience to the core leader and take their political cues from the core leader, even when his behavior was judged unprincipled or his policy preference misguided. The core leader would no longer hear different voices and the truth would not be sent to the Zhonghai. This would further promote arbitrary rule that would push the party in greater danger. If strongman politics develops to one-man or arbitrary rule that undermines inner party democratic centralism and the causes disunity within the party, it would eventually ruin the party, as with the extreme case of the Cultural Revolution, in which the party apparatus was thoroughly disrupted and the CCP faced imminent collapse. Yeah, this would ultimately invite a collective effort for the party elite to constrain the arbitrary rule, and the principle of collective leadership would be promoted. I want to get specific here, so I wonder if we could talk now about maybe a, a contrast between the, the Hu Jintao period and the Xi Jinping period. What explains to you why Hu Jintao was unable to achieve the status quo? You, you mentioned earlier the, the idea that the 2000s was the, the lost decade and many of the, the problems of weak leadership emerged of you know, corruption, lack of political discipline. But how would you assess or how would you analyze why Hu Jintao was unable to achieve this, this necessary position within the party hierarchy? Okay, in order to become the core of the party leadership, a party chief has to take advantage of a system that generally provides opportunities. Yeah, for example, the use of resources and the authority in influencing appointments and promotions, and sufficient time, such as five years term, right, for this person to consolidate his power. However, not every party chief possesses the same ability in efficiently controlling the high-ranking leaders and the bureaucracy and successfully consolidating his power. Okay, compared with Hu Jintao, okay, Jiang Zemin was much more successful in cultivating loyal followers 
manipulating support in the leadership, controlling the military and the security forces, and undermining the power and the influence of his political rivals. That is why Hu was shadowed by Jiang Zemin and most of Jiang's tenure. And he's never established himself as the core of the fourth generation leadership. Now, and, and cognizant of time, I wanted to shift to talking about Xi Jinping. One of the very helpful insights I got from the book is it changed the way I thought about Xi Jinping's achievement of core in 2016. I had thought originally that in achieving core, this was more a reflection of Xi Jinping's extreme drive for power that made him something of a megalomaniac. But actually, after reading your book, I now more come to see that drive for the core as being seen by Xi Jinping as a baseline necessity to be able to move his policy and political agenda through the system. So this wasn't a nice to have, this was a must have if he was going to be an effective leader. I wanted to ask how you assessed his ability to gain that status of core? What, what made him able to do this? You just mentioned Hu Jintao's lack of success or inability to do this. Looking back now at Xi Jinping's first few years in office, how do you think he was able to achieve this status of core without it being granted as it was with, with Jiang Zemin by, by Deng Xiaoping? He sort of, he took this of his own accord and skill. How, how was that able to happen? Okay, for a successful party chief, yeah, his individual abilities, in controlling the high-ranking leaders and the bureaucracy are crucial for ensure his political survival and advantages because his institutional positions alone are insufficient in guaranteeing his real power on the system in which the power of a party chief is usually constrained by other members of the leadership representing the major and the influential factions in the party leadership. In other words, being granted the title of the party chief is only the first step for the next generation leader to establish his authority. He must cons consolidate his power by cultivating and developing his own loyal followers and the factions using the tactics and the strategies to undermine the power and the influence of his open or potential rivals and establishing his domination in the leadership. Xi's profound relationships with the senior party and the government veterans, most of them, the collections were derived from Xi's father, Xi Zongxun, the People's Liberation Army, and the prisoners, the, the kids of the, the high-ranking leaders. And the key cliques within the Xi Jinping's faction yeah, include, with, we can count, the Fujianbang, Zhejiang, Liu Kups, and the Shanghai Gang, Qinghua Gang, the Princelings, and the, the, the second generation Reds, and the Luoyang army generals from the Nanjing and the Fujian military regimes and the army units. She has also benefited greatly from the rise of the Princelings in the People's Liberation Army. Once she became a CCP chief in September 2012, he quickly arranged his trust followers to take the key party army and the security forces and the government positions is much faster than Jiang Zemin and Hu Jintao. 
and Xi's faction has gradually developed into a comp competitive and a powerful political force in the leadership of politics. That thesis, and I think that description you just gave of, of how Xi Jinping was able to utilize skill and networks to consolidate power and achieve the status of the core has some pretty important implications for the future of China's political system. I was thinking, as you were describing a few minutes ago, the risks of a core or strongman leader, and, and you, you also write about this early in the book, just to re-quote it here for listeners, you write, when the party is led by a visionary, capable, and talented party chief who is able to create an image of a sage ruler with virtues, wisdom, justice, courage, and equanimity, and is skillful at using deceits, cunning, and manipulation, and self-serving tactics to achieve political ends, his associates will likely comply with his command and support his leadership. However, if the party is ruled by a chief who makes big mistakes and causes a crisis of the party's survival due to his arbitrary rule, such as he only uses his trusted followers in key party organizations and is surrounded by flatterers who refuse to listen to criticisms and suppress dissenting voice, his associates would organize to undermine his power and share the responsibilities with him if he is not replaced. Now, you were talking more generally, but I couldn't help but thinking about Xi Jinping in that discussion. I'm not sure he fits necessarily all of the dynamics you mentioned as possible risks, but I can foresee Xi Jinping becoming exactly the ruler I just read about, the one who makes mistakes, doesn't listen to dissenting voices, only surrounds himself by trusted followers. What challenges or risks do you see moving forward, especially now that we're just looking ahead to the 20th Party Congress? Xi Jinping will likely take a third term. There are no real challengers or dissenting voices, as far as I can see, within the senior leadership. Do you see him becoming that arbitrary ruler, or do you think he'll be able to pivot and be the visionary, capable, and talented party chief who can remain in power? Okay, I we have to understand the fundamental component in both traditional and contemporary China is the concept of a mandate of heaven, Tianmi. The mandate scenario establishes a mechanism of a sanction. A leader would be rewarded if he achieved overwhelming volunteer support from both the elite and the populace, and would lose the mandate if he fails to gain such a support. For a core leader, therefore, maintaining his image as always correctness, an essential method to keep his support in full force, in crucial in keeping his mandate of heaven in effect. One of the assets with which the informal role of the core leader is endowed is his public image, appearance of not just the goodwill, but a politically flawlessness. If he makes a mistake, he loses volunteer support a sign that his mandate is being withdrawn. He is expected to step down from his office or to be replaced by other more virtuous leaders. Okay, in order to remain the status as a core leader, she has to try not to make a serious mistake in his leadership. Yeah, we will say Xi Jinping so far looked like a sitting group, so fine. Yeah, he push, improve the situation in China economically, 
politically, yeah, international stage, okay, and he also the re release the poverty. Yes, last year, right? Make a lot of people out of poverty. Xi Jinping was also put China GDP going to the level of the middle classes, middle countries income. Yeah, that's why all those look like he's built those kind of correctness image, always correct, and they also built those kind of counter personality. Yeah, will continue growing China. Yeah, that, if he did not make a huge mistake, based on your question. I would say he's very secure, his position as a third terms, yeah, and he also become the major role in the future. Even though he's going to step down, he pick up a person, he trust can represent him and can represent his interests in the future. That's why he can stay behind, say the second front to monitor the Chinese politics. His influence will continue. Well, George, that's a that's a really great place to wrap up the conversation. I think there's just so much in the book in this discussion that is going to be vital for thinking about where China's political system is is going to go. We didn't have time to get to it, but one of the things you and I were talking about quickly before we started to record was how important for outside analysts of China's political system to get outside of their own normative Western models for understanding China's political system and spending more time trying to develop some cognitive empathy towards how China's own political culture has developed, not just since 1949, not just since 1921, but how legacies of, as you discuss in the book, legalism, Confucianism, and just the practical history of dynastic politics still places a great amount of, or at least exerts a great amount of influence over dynamics within the Communist Party in 2022. And that's what I thought was so admirable about your book, is it really expanded my field of vision for thinking about something as critical as the core, that this was not just a kind of post-Mao or a Mao Zedong dynamic, but this, this reaches back further in, in history. So I, I want to thank you for, uh, for your time today. I, I really want to thank you for the scholarship. I'm greatly looking forward to your next work on the organization department. And again, hope, hope to have you back to discuss that. Thank you for having me. Okay, thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, the Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 